So hey, we're in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, um, we started a couple weeks ago a series called Faith That Changes the World. And, and here's the idea. We want to look at different men and women who showed great faith, who believed in a great God, who though they failed and they failed often, they also, um, in times of pressure and in times of maybe weakness, they're able to press into faith and see God show up in really miraculous ways. And I can't think of like an appropriate text more than this for where we're at just kind of as a country, as a nation, um, as individuals. How do we have faith that changes the world? How do we have faith like these men and women in Hebrews 11 who showed great steps of faith, even though they were sinners, even though they blew it, they were able to show signs of faith. And so specifically today, we're gonna be looking at Abraham. And the title or the text today is Faith That Is Tested. Faith That Is Tested. Sooner or later, uh, your faith is going to be tested. Either it has been, it's currently being tested, or one day it's going to be. And like Abraham, it's not a one-time thing. His faith was tested time and time again. And my faith and your faith is going to go through different testing moments. And I think tests are there to reveal what was in us or what is God trying to do within us? What is he trying to create or reveal? And so we're going to look, that, uh, look at faith that is tested. And Abraham's just a really unique guy. I mean, here in Hebrews 11, there's more text dedicated to Abraham than anyone else. Uh, Abraham is called the father of faith in Romans 4. It says that he, Abraham, might be the father of all those who believe. Abraham by showing faith in God initially in Genesis 15, by saying he believed God and God says, Abraham, you are righteous because you believe me. Abraham became known as the father of faith. And so he's, you could say, our father of faith. Uh, there's three major world religions that would consider him their founder. And so it's interesting in this way, looking at Abraham's story in life. Um, and we're gonna look at a lot of texts just around this person of Abraham and how his faith was tested ultimately. And, and here's what I want us to like really see today. Abraham did have a great faith, but more importantly, he had a great God. Abraham and Sarah, though they failed, they also had opportunity to show great faith. And we're gonna look at that because we want not just like a little faith, even though with a little faith you can move mountains, uh, but the idea is we want great faith. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Just hear that one more time. Little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. There's something about great faith that brings the sense of God's kingdom is already here. God's kingdom is near that we're here to usher in the kingdom of God. It's not just about going to heaven one day, but bringing heaven here. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Uh, so let's just read. It's Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 16. This is going to be our text for today. And we're going to look at Abraham, uh, the father of faith, the one whose his faith was tested time and time again. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the people which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him, God faithful, who had promised. Verse 12, therefore from one man 
and him as good as dead, <laughs> were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, for God has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. And uh, we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we thank you so much for the chance we get to study Abraham and Sarah and a man and a woman who, though imperfect and though flawed, was able to believe you, to step out in faith, to see you show up in a very unique way. God, I just ask that this would be more than um, a study even of faith, that this would be something you, you do within us, that you'd transform us, God, I ask that you would just take away fear and doubt and anxiety and really just, um, God, let your word continually be on our mind and our heart. God, I would just love to see our church. I'd love to see individuals step out in faith, take risks for your kingdom. And God, we just look to you now and ask that um, you just speak to us and guide us in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a term that's being used a lot right now, and it's been used a lot, but it's the term power couple. Now, if you know what a power couple is, you know, we think individually they're awesome, but together, I mean, there's just something about a power couple. And I'm kind of like over that word or that term power couple, like what that looks like, what that entails. But when you think about this idea of a power couple, we have a few examples kind of in Hollywood today. You know, some might look at uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt and be like, that is a power couple, right? Uh, maybe it's for you, it's Jay-Z and Beyonce. And you're, that is a power couple right there. Uh, maybe it's Kim and Kanye, uh, maybe the first couple soon. I don't know. No kidding. Uh, but there's a lot of couples we might look, like, look at as a power couple. Like, to get, like individually, they're strong, but together, man, there's just something about them. Here is Abraham and Sarah mentioned in the Hall of Faith. I would call this a power couple. I mean, here's Abraham, who's known for his faith, the father of faith, and even Sarah, who's called out as a woman of faith. And they're together, they're married, and God showed up in very unique ways. And I want to talk about this because they weren't perfect. If you read the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 through 25, I mean, they made a lot of mistakes along the way. Abraham believed God. Uh, Abraham trusted God, but he also messed up a lot. When Abraham was down in the area of Egypt, he had this interaction with Pharaoh. He knew Sarah, his wife, was beautiful. By the way, she was 65 years old when she meets Pharaoh. He's so worried about Pharaoh being attracted to his 65-year-old wife, which is just crazy uh, to me, but it's great. That's awesome. But he's so worried about this. He says, no, no, pretend that you're my sister so that Pharaoh does not, you know, harm me. Um, just say that you're my sister. And so she, she says, I'm his sister. And Pharaoh is plagued by different things throughout that night. And he's like, why did you lie to me? Why did you say this is your sister? And I mean, Abraham blew it big time. Man, I would encourage you not to uh, try to sell off your wife and call her your sister. That's not a good thing. Sarah too. Sarah heard that you're going to have a son. And she was old. And she literally laughed at God. And the messenger's like, did you just laugh? And she's like, no. He's like, mm, you did laugh. I mean, even reading that interaction between Sarah and the messenger, it's unbelievable. There's two people who had great faith, but they blew it also a lot along the way. And if you look at the story of Abraham, 
I would encourage you to read Genesis 12 through 25. I mean, a lot of text in the Bible in general is devoted to this couple. A lot of text in the Bible is devoted to them. And Hebrews 11 doesn't once bring up their flaws, doesn't once bring up their sins, even though it could. Hebrews 11 decides to look at them as examples of faith. Those who stepped out, those who believed, those who trusted in faith. And so we want to do the same thing. I mean, let me kind of give you the gist of Abraham's life in like a few sentences. God said, Abraham, uh, I want you to leave and get out of your land. And he goes, okay, where? Wait, I'll tell you later. Abraham, you're going to go into a land and you're going to take it and you're going to own it. Okay, God, when? Just wait, I'll tell you later. Abraham, you're going to have a son. I know you're old, but you're going to have a son. He goes, okay, how? Just wait, I'll tell you later. God says, take your son, who now you finally have, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. He goes, why would I do that? Just wait, I'll tell you later. Like the story of Abraham is this constant test after test after test. I don't know what it's like for you in in grade school, high school, um, but I didn't love tests. I feel like teachers were sometimes cruel with pop quizzes or pop tests just to kind of reveal where you were at. Like, do you really know the subject? Did you do your homework? Here's the point of tests. Tests are to show you and to grow you. Tests are there to show you what's really inside and do you really understand? And tests are also there to grow you and mature you. And here's Abraham. His faith was tested time and time again. And please listen, like, I just want everyone to, to understand this in their context. If you're walking through something right now, loss of job, illness, loss of a loved one, just some sort of pain and suffering, some sort of internal struggle, some sort of calling issue. Listen, we are all going to have different tests throughout our faith. And I think God is trying to show us reveal to us where we're at in our faith. I think God is trying to grow us and mature us. And listen, we're going to see everyone's faith sooner or later is tested. If your faith has not been tested, it will be tested. If your faith is never tested, do you really even have faith? Because your faith is going to be tested. And so we see here with Abraham that his faith is tested. It's tested greatly and it's tested time and time again. It's like once he gets out of a test, he goes into another test. And maybe that's where you feel like you're at that you're in a test right now and God's going to put you through another test. And listen, I really do believe it's an opportunity to really step up. Think about this really quick. This was written to people who were losing their homes, being fed to lions, being lit on fire. I mean, the Colosseum was around. Nero was around. They're being tortured, ridiculed. They're being, their homes are being taken from them. They're going underground as a church. They're going through so much intense suffering. What do you think the author's trying to do? He's saying, listen, you're suffering. I get it. It's painful. It's hard. He goes, but so did every other man and woman before you. Every other man and woman of faith also suffered. And this is an opportunity to step up. It's an opportunity to press into faith, to press into belief, not to cower, not to freak out and panic, not to run away from the God you once trusted in, but to press into him. And this is kind of the great context of Hebrews 11, saying, look at these great men and women of faith, though they too suffered, though they too had the odds stacked against them, God showed up in amazing ways and is because of faith by faith, by faith, by faith. So we're going to look at some different tests here. All right, let's just kind of walk through this text. But as we do that, we're going to see some different uh, tests. So I've kind of labeled it this way. You have the voice test, the venture test, the value test, and the vision test. All right, you can write that down. We'll we'll break this down. But the voice test, venture test, value test, vision test. Let's first look at the voice test meaning God is speaking. Are you listening? Uh, Hebrews 11, verse eight, just the first phrase. It says it this way, by faith, Abraham obeyed, listen, when he was called to go out. He obeyed when he was called to go out. The voice test. Here's the idea. Sooner or later, 
God is going to speak to you. God is going to direct your life or speak into your life in such a way that it just shakes up everything. That sooner or later you kind of go, I can't do life the way I'm doing life. Like I can't live this way anymore. In light of what I know, in light of what I've seen, in light of who God is, I can't just kind of go through life the way I've been going through life. Sooner or later, God's going to speak to your heart in such a way where you go, things have to change dramatically. And this can come in many ways. God maybe has spoken to you through a friend who just shared some insight in your life. Maybe it's been through a book that you've read. Maybe you've been driving in your car and God just spoke to your heart. Maybe you've been reading the Bible. Maybe it's in worship. You're just worshiping and crying out and God just speaks to your heart. Maybe it's through an illness and suffering and God is speaking to you and trying to get your attention. I really feel like there's many different ways God tries to speak to us, but please listen, here's the first test. It's the voice test. It's, and I, I love how different authors talk about this. They say sooner or later, everyone hears that call of God. Anyone who's ever believed in Jesus has heard that call. Anyone who's ever surrendered their life and said, God, I'm done living life my own way, they've heard the call of God and it's caused them to press in. I really want you to think through this, even, even in my own life. I mean, any great man or woman who's following Jesus heard that still small voice, or maybe it was just a loud microphone voice where God spoke to you and you could not deny it anymore. You know, one of my favorite uh, preachers and authors is a guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he was just one of the best preachers in the 20th century. Uh, he was a, a pastor, preacher in Westminster Chapel in London. Uh, this guy before, though, he was a pastor and preacher. He was a doctor. He's actually a really up-and-coming physician who really had just a lot of opportunity, very brilliant guy, very smart guy. He was apprenticing one of the best doctors in London. I mean, you think about in the 1920s and 30s in London at one of the best hospitals, trained and apprenticed under one of the best doctors. I mean, like the world was his. The world was his oyster. He could like do whatever he wanted essentially with the influence he had, the money coming in. And he shares this story how one day the doctor that he's apprenticing, the doctor that he's learning from, this guy who seemed to have it all, he lost his loved one. He lost someone he's engaged to in a terrible, tragic accident. And he said one night, he knocked on his door and he said, can I come in and can I use your fireplace? And that the, the doctor he was apprenticing who lost his loved one comes in and just sits by his fire and is staring to the fire for hours. And he said, as he's watching the one, this, uh, the one that he's apprenticing under, the one he loves, his mentor, he's just watching him stare at the fire and he's thinking about life. And he goes, it hit me like a, a ton of bricks that nothing lasts that everything I'm working for, everything he's working for, a good reputation, good name, wealth, money, it can just be taken in a second. And he describes it as, it just hit me that the way I've been living life, the what I've been building my life upon has to change. And I don't know what that was like for you. You can read different biographies of anyone. I think about this from my, my own life. I remember being in high school, <clears throat> hearing the gospel, and I heard the gospel so much, but one day it hits you and you go, what am I living for? Like, what is this all about? Like, why am I doing, what, why am I pursuing what I'm pursuing? Why do I think this school is the best thing I should be pursuing? Or, and all those thoughts kind of flood into your mind. Like, what am I doing with life? Like, what is life? And what am I doing with life? My, my life, before I was just all in for Jesus, was about putting this circular orange rubber ball thing into a metal hoop. I mean, my life was all about, like, how can I get this rubber ball into the circular rim? It's crazy to think, like, I was living for that. Like, that was why I woke up in the morning. That was my passion, my drive. And my point is, so many of us build our lives on things that are essentially fading, that essentially, when it comes to eternity, won't last. And not that it's wrong to ever build your life on things like that, but to make it your master passion, to make it your master calling. See, sooner or later, God's going to speak into you and say, what is your life being built on? 
and God's going to speak to you in such a way where you go, I cannot keep doing it this way. Like, I don't want to do it this way. Listen, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Abraham one day heard the voice of God and his faith welled up to obey it. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. If you want to grow in faith, if you want to take a step of faith, as you read the word, take in the word, watch God just do something to your faith. I mean, there's something about it. So let's kind of read. I want to actually pull up the story. It's in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 4, this voice, this call of God. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken. So here's Abram's story. He's in uh, Ur, the land of Chalde- Chaldeans. He's there one day with his family. I mean, and you hear the voice of God and God says, get out. I'm gonna make you a great, great nation. I'm gonna bless those who bless you. I'm gonna curse those who curse you. I will make you great. I will do these things for you, but obey, get out. And I wanted to point out something. Look at how faith begins. Faith begins with God saying, I will. God says, I will. It's not Abraham going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make myself a great nation. I'm going to give myself a great name. But it's God saying, I will. Now, please stay with me why this is so important. In the previous chapter, you could almost mirror Genesis 12 to Genesis 11. The way it begins in Genesis 11 and 12 are so different. Maybe you've heard the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, here's kind of that story. Just listen to this. I want to compare and contrast this. It's Genesis 11, verse 1. Listen to what it says about this. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, that is Babylon. And they dwelt there. They said, and then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Did you guys hear that? Notice they said, let us make a name. Let us build. For Abraham, it's God saying, I will build you a nation. I will bless those who bless you. Listen, there's a difference between let us and God will. Or when God says, I will. Here's the idea. Faith does not begin or start with let us. It starts with God will. God will do this. We're acting in his promise. God says, I will do this. And our response is, okay, God, you will do this. You said it, you will do it. Faith does not begin with us saying, we're going to do this. Faith begins with God will. And here's what I'm trying to get at. Sooner or later, you're going to hear the voice of God. Maybe it's been, again, just through a friend or a sermon. Maybe one time you're just in a low place in life and you've, you've heard that still small voice. And I'd say this, do not ignore that. If you hear the Lord ever speaking to you, ever moving in such a way, if God's saying, I will heal you, I will renew you, I will give you new life, I'll give you purpose, I'll give you meaning, I'll give you value. And you hear that voice saying, what are you building your life on? What is this all about? And you realize God is speaking to you. I would say, like Abraham, hear that voice, obey that voice. Trust that voice. God's saying, I love you. I will, I will, I will. Faith does not begin with let us. It begins with God will. 
And God says, I will, Abraham. I will do this for you. So here's what I'm trying to get at. There's different ways to hear the voice of God. Obviously, the book of Hebrews chapter 4 says uh, this book is living and powerful. That God still speaks through this book in very unique ways. I want to give you a a few different ideas. How does God still speak? It's Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. We read it, but it says, God who at various times and in various ways has spoken to us by the prophets to the fathers, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son. That God still does speak and he speaks through his son. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Did you get that? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. That means Jesus is speaking and we are listening. That is the idea that Jesus is still moving and speaking. We have his word. We have the spirit who directs us to his word, who, who takes the truth of his word and places it on our hearts. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, uh, or 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit teaches cons- comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches and he says we have the mind of Christ. Here's the idea. God can place truth on your heart. God can place scripture on your heart. God can place his word on your heart. Like, what are you doing? What are you living for? And when you hear that voice like Abraham, when you hear the voice that that says, go, get out of this land, get out of this culture, get out of this context, get out of the habits you're in, get out of the routines you're in, go, go to a new land I'm gonna show you. That voice test to discern it was God and to go. I would say God is speaking, are we listening? Number two, it's not just the voice test, but it's the venture test. So going back to that verse, verse eight, I wanna focus on the first part. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. The venture test. It's really the obedient test. By faith, Abraham obeyed. So when God speaks, yes, are we listening? And two, when we hear it, do we obey? So we have to sooner or later venture out in faith. We have to sooner or later hear the voice of God and say, God, I know this sounds crazy. Get out of my homeland. I know this sounds crazy. I need to change my context, change my habits, my routines, my my lifestyle. I need to live and build it on something that's eternal. And that might sound crazy, but sooner or later, we have to obey it. And this is what Abraham did. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. The opposite of faith is not doubt. I know we think of it like that. Like, if I'm doubting God, it's because I I lack faith. Not true. The opposite of faith is disobedience. God has spoken, do we obey it? If you take this context, this story, Paul in Romans 4 takes the same story in Genesis 12, where God called him out, and Genesis 15, where God says, you're going to have a son. I know you're old, but you're going to have a son. Paul takes the same story and says, listen, Abraham is exhibit A of how someone is saved by grace through faith. How is someone made right with God? By faith. Paul in Romans chapter four, verse nine says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Or Genesis 15, six says, Abraham believed God and God accounted to him righteousness. So Abraham goes, God, I believe you. I believe, I'm gonna obey you. And God says, Abraham, you are now righteous. Your bank account, which had negative money in it, it's now filled with righteousness. And the idea now is that uh, we are made right with God by faith. So let me just kind of walk through this with you. Um, It's not enough to say, I believe God. There is something, yes, but we have to believe in him and believe him to the point of obedience and trust. 
that we're told even demons have faith somewhat. Even demons believe in God and they tremble. We're told not just to have belief in, in, that there is a God and not even to tremble at the truth, but to press in and obey that truth. And so here's Abraham who hears the word of God. God says, I'm gonna do this for you. And his faith is what justified him. And let me just be really clear. No one is ever gonna stand before God because of their good works. No one's ever gonna stand before God and enter into heaven, enter into eternal life because of all the good things they've done. That we're only saved completely by God's grace and through faith. And there's something very powerful because Abraham believed God and God said, you're righteous, but that belief turned into action. That belief turned into obedience. As James said, and we looked at it last week briefly, but faith without works is dead. So yes, you might have faith, but it will be accompanied with works. Works don't save you, but they are fruit of your faith. They're a byproduct of your belief. So if you truly believe in Jesus, there will be a life that backs it up. So when someone says, man, I believe in Jesus, I'm all in, but their life does not back that up. You go, is that true faith? Because faith will be accompanied with works. Abraham believed God, but guess what? He packed up his stuff and he went. Eventually, you have to go. Eventually, you have to obey. It's not enough to be like, God, I obey you in theory. You have to now press into that. And that is what Abraham did, that he actually then goes. He goes. And not only Abraham, but I want you to hear this. This is actually what Sarah did. Sarah, too, is in the hall of faith. And the author kind of gives us some insight that we don't see in the original Genesis account of this. But here's what the author says, Hebrews 11, 11. It says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Really quick, maybe you've heard someone say this. It does not matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I could not think of something probably more idiotic than that. But they're saying is, it's not about the object of your faith. It's just about having faith, right? Here's what Sarah did. Sarah said, God is faithful. He's gonna do what he said. It wasn't that her faith got her pregnant. It's that the object of her faith. God said it. He's faithful. He's going to do it. When someone says, doesn't matter what you believe, it's just about being sincere. It's like, no, when you look at a windshield, you don't look at a windshield, you look through a windshield. You're like, what does it matter if the windshield is clear or dirty? Just you look at the windshield. No, no, faith is not to be meant to be looked at. Faith is meant to be looked through. And that is we look through it to something else. We look through faith to something beyond, not to get stuck at this dirty windshield that we can't see past. See, someone could say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And it's like, well, you're sincerely wrong. Like there, it does matter what you believe. Uh, the object of your faith does matter. Sarah got that. She goes, God's faithful. And, and here's the point I want us to see from this. Um, you obviously cannot trust your circumstances. Abraham's old, Sarah's old, and they believed contrary to their circumstances. Here's what I want to get at, church. I don't know what our circumstances, right now your circumstances, our world's in a really interesting place. Um, we cannot trust in circumstances. They didn't trust in uh, their, the moment they're in. They trusted in God. Their circumstances actually weren't good. It was counter to good. And in spite of their circumstances, they still trusted. Verse uh, eight puts it this way. He went out not knowing where he was going. There, there comes a side of, of this venture test or this obedient test where obedience means you won't always understand. Here's something that's really difficult for me. It's easy for me to follow God when I understand the whole plan. When I don't see from A to Z, when I don't see the whole plan, it's very difficult for me to press in and say, okay, God, I trust you. What, what I want to see for me, for you today is we might not ever see the big picture. God, why am I suffering? Why is this illness happening to me, my family, my loved one? Why are we going through this as a country? Why? And we might not ever see the big picture, but we're going to take it step by step in obedience. 
They couldn't see the big picture. How am I going to get pregnant? This doesn't make sense biologically. I love the phrase, Abraham was as good as dead. Like, "Mm, he's not supposed to have kids. She's not either. And yet the idea is despite their circumstances, they're going to trust God. Despite that, they're saying, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We have a God who's bigger than circumstances. Doesn't matter what's happening right now. I serve the one who creates circumstances, who can make new circumstances. It does not matter what I see. This is that venture test. This is that I'm going to just obey because God is way bigger than my circumstances. I'm going to obey because God's way bigger than this present moment that I'm in, that you're in. We cannot trust circumstances. It just will not work out. You know, I want you to think about it maybe this way. Um, I've talked to people who are interested and curious in Christianity. And I think the question kind of can be sometimes is, well, is it going to work for me? Like, if I believe and trust in God, is this going to work? Is th- are things going to go my way? That is the wrong premise to begin with. The question shouldn't be, will it work? The question is, is it true? I mean, is it true? If Jesus died and, and rose again, it doesn't matter if it's going to work for you or your definition of work. If Jesus died and rose again, that changes everything. It might not work the way you want it to work. It might not go the way you want it to go, and that's probably good. It might not happen the way you want it to happen. And in fact, we should be thankful for that. That doesn't always go the way we should want it to go. The question is not, if I believe in God, will I have a test-free life? Of course not. You're going to have a lot of tests. You're going to go through a lot of pain, suffering, might feel alone, might feel all those feelings that everyone feels. The question is not, will it work? The question is, is it true? And if you have that belief, Jesus truly died and truly rose again, then you go, whatever comes against me, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me. That doesn't matter what my circumstances are. It's true. Doesn't matter that I'm past the age. Doesn't matter that I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. It doesn't matter because the circumstances don't matter. The one who my faith is in matters. And this is what Abraham is learning. You know, I love that phrase, and I I don't know who to attribute it to because I've read it in so many different things. But it's true when you think about it for Abraham and, and just our life right now. The idea is I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. Like, I don't know what it holds, but I know who holds it. I don't know what's ahead of me, but I know that God is already there. You know, um, the first time, really, I feel like we went through something similar to this is when we were praying about church planting. And I remember there's such a, the, the big idea of leaving our job, leaving the comfortability of just the familiarity of everything, not knowing, well, will God, we, will this work out? Will people come to know you? Will, will we be able to survive? Like all those thoughts flooded my mind. And it was through a lot of prayer and just really good people. We had a lot of prayer meetings before we even decided to go. And a lot of it was really what my wife and I wrote down on the same night. Um, We were at a prayer meeting. And I said, you know, Kimber, what do you feel like the Lord was showing you today? And she's like, I don't know. I feel like there's two words that God gave me. And I wrote down two words as well in my journal. I'm like, well, what were those words? She goes, rest. I feel like we're supposed to rest and not freak out and panic. And I'm like, okay, what else? And she said, and the word work. And she goes, I know it's weird, but I feel like God's telling us to rest and work. And uh, those are the two words I wrote down. And I go, that's literally what I have right here. And I showed in my journal, I'm like, I wrote down that night that we need to rest because we're freaking out. And it was not healthy, but we also need to work. We can't be like lazy. And I feel like those were the two words that God really gave us when it came to venturing out, which is, I won't know what ne- the next step is. We won't know. You know, you think about Abraham. He didn't know where he was going. That's just a bizarre request. Go to a land. I'll show you. Like, what? Just pack up. Start packing. You know, we always want God to show us the big picture. We might not ever get the big picture. When you think about God's will sometimes, I love how one pastor put it to us when I was like a teenager. He's like, you know, think about a puzzle. 
And when you have a puzzle, you have a little piece, but he goes, as kids, you, want, you get the box, right? And it's always good to have a box. I could probably never do a puzzle if it wasn't for having the box. But uh, you get a puzzle, imagine you don't have the box. Imagine you have nothing to look at, you just have the puzzle, but no box to look at. And you're kind of going, what's this? Like purple, yellow, like is this a flower? I have no idea. You're like, we don't know. You know, we're looking for the borders and it's crazy because over the years you kind of go, oh my goodness, I see what that is creating, it's beautiful. Look at the stars, look at the galaxies it's creating. Oh my gosh, look over here, it's a garden. And you're starting to see the puzzle come together. And really you thought it was about this, the galaxy, you thought it was about the garden, but there's something bigger. You're like, I thought it was about this. I had no idea God was building something else the whole time. I think as we look at God's will, God's call, this idea of obedience, we go, God, I want to know it all from start to finish. And God's like, that's not how it works. Obey me in the moment. Obey me at step one. I'm not going to give you step 10 until you obey step one. You want step four, but you're not even obeying step two. And I think that's where we're seeing here with Abraham is just by faith, by faith, by faith. It's going, God, circumstances don't add up. Circumstances are actually against us, but I'm going to trust you who's over the circumstances. I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. And this is what we see with that venture, that obedient test. Number three, we'll just keep going. Uh, we're going to see the value test, the value test. And, I, and here's what I mean. Look at verse nine, Hebrews 11, verse nine. It says it this way. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Okay, stay with me. The value test. Abraham dwelt in tents. Abraham was an incredibly wealthy guy. Could have built a very giant home, um, but he dwelt in tents. A- Abraham was a nomad, constantly traveling. Why? He was, not, he was looking for something more than what he could build. He was looking for a city. He was looking for a building whose foundation, foundation and maker is God. He was looking for something way bigger than him. Please, like, just stay with me on this. Abraham valued this heavenly city more than he valued his tabernacle or tent or dwelling or house. Abraham knew God was doing something much bigger than what he could see. I, I love the phrase in verse 10, the way it puts it again. It says it this way. It says, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Tents don't have foundations. Cities have foundations, but he wanted this heavenly city. Let me put it this way. The world that you and I live in has really no true foundations. You think about everything people are living for. Um, Everything in life can fall apart. Everything can crumble. There is even, you think about what people believe today, what's true right now, what's popular right now, a hundred years ago, uh, or a hundred years ago is completely different. A hundred years from now, Maybe what people believe right now, whatever's trending right now, whatever new thought is right now, a hundred years from now, probably people will laugh at. Just like we laugh at certain intellectual beliefs from a hundred years ago. My thing is things are constantly changing, constantly crumbling, but it's crazy because here's the idea with Christianity. A hundred years from now, people are still going to believe what I believe. A hundred years from now, 200 years from now, 500 years from now, people are still going to believe the same message. What might be in right now culturally, what might be popular, what might be commonly believed right now in a hundred years is probably going to be laughed at. This world has no foundations. Everything's going to crumble. Everything's going to fall. It already has. You already look from the past and we go, we constantly laugh at what people believed and did and how they lived. Or sadly, we maybe mourn over it. We look at the past and we go, I can't believe that's what we're doing. I genuinely believe 100 years from now, 200 years from now, by faith, I'm trusting and believing people will look at what's happening with just in our world when it comes to abortion. And they'll say, the evil that we look at the Holocaust with will be the same evil we look at abortion clinics with. 
the idea that we're just slaughtering by the thousands innocent lives. It might be common, it might be believed, it might be celebrated right now, but I, I'm trusting in faith that just like people knew the Holocaust now is cr- incredibly evil, um, this is incredibly evil. My point is things are constantly changing. My point is this world has no foundations. My point is God offers a city which has foundations, and the builder and maker is God. The thing that we see in scripture is everything in life might fall apart unless the Lord builds it. So think about this. If you're living right now for money, for career, for success, for power, for influence, sooner or later that's going to crumble and fall apart. That is not going to last. That is not enduring. We look at the heavenly city that God is going to build. That is an enduring city. It's funny, when you look at Cairo or Babylon or Rome at its height, you know, these were called the eternal cities, the cities that will never end, and they all came to an end. And, and the point we're seeing is that there's one city that will endure, whose builder and maker is God. I, I want to say even for myself, like the things that we are building our lives on, the foundations, the foundation you have is not sturdy, unless it's Christ unless it's Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, unless it's the one who is eternal, unless it's the one is we're going to build his city and his city will will forever last, that nothing will wipe out this city, there'll be no war that will end the city of God, that we see here that Abraham had this value. He said, I'm not going to build a home because my home's in heaven. His mindset was more of this fact that, you know what, everything else is crumbling around me, but there's something that will never crumble around me, and that is my relationship to God. I mean, think about our generation. Like, we are the generation that just, we, we want to trend. We want to have likes. We want to have follows. We want to be, a pot, we want to know what's happening, what's going on, and all those things are just vapor. It's going to change. It's going to be something new. It's going to be something different. But let's build our lives on the kingdom of God, on justice, on his justice, on what he values, on what matters to him. Let's build our lives on God's kingdom. I mean, this is what we see happening with Abraham. You know, think about it this way. When you are suffering, when you're going through loss, when you're going through tragedy, how are you going to make it through? So he's writing to people who've lost a lot. And he's saying, look at Abraham. Abraham knew that life wasn't about the present moment. Abraham had a bigger eternal perspective. And so how do you like really, how do, how do I right now, we even steward that thought? Like, I want to put it this way. Um, you know, imagine you have $500 in your pocket and you're walking down the road. And at that moment, someone comes and says, give me all of your money. And you're like, oh, I have $500 in my pocket, of course. And you give them your $500. Now, if that's all you had, that would totally wreck you. If that was like your life savings, $500. I mean, you'd be wrecked. You'd go, I have nothing left, like nothing. Now, if you had a Swiss bank account with $500 billion in it, and you had $500 in your pocket, and they took your 500 bucks, I mean, you might be upset, but your life's not over. Because you realize, eh, they took 500 bucks, but I have 500 billion in another bank account that they don't even know about. The point is, think about here in this world right now. Um, if your life is the $500 in your pockets, you're gonna be devastated when things go bad. But if you realize that you have an eternal bank account that does not fade away, that cannot be taken from you, that no one can touch, you will never be disappointed when that 500 bucks is taken. The point is when you're suffering in some way where you're going, life's over, I can't believe it. I can't believe this happened again. I can't believe this person won this again. I can't believe whatever it is. If you're building your life on that, if you're building your life on that, it will be devastating. But if you remember that you have a home in heaven, that you have this infinite bank account that's completely filled, you go, oh, oh well. Because you go, I have a lot more where that came from. The point is that we're going to see is Abraham valued something so much greater. 
Abraham valued the fact that his goes, this world has no foundations. It will crumble, it will fall apart, but God's kingdom will never crumble, never fall apart. I'm gonna dwell in tents as a reminder that my true home is somewhere else. And this kind of leads us to the next point. It's number four, the vision test, the vision test. And I, I want us to read verse 13 to 16 because it's so profound. But verse 13 to 16, it says it like this. These all died in faith. So think about Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but have seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have, not, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but they, they saw them afar off. Listen to that. They not, did not receive what they were promised. In that life, they did not receive what they, exactly they were promised, but they saw them afar off. By faith, by faith, I love the definition, remember? The evidence of things not seen. They saw them, but they didn't see them. They saw them afar off, but they didn't see them. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 18, Paul said it this way. He said, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We do not look at what's seen. For what we see, that's temporary, but what we don't see, that's eternal. See, they saw these promises afar off. Though they didn't see them, they saw them. See, Abraham knew that there would be a city. He knew that God would bring to him his true homeland. He confessed, I love this phrase, he confessed that he was a stranger and pilgrim. Think about that. This confession of, this isn't my home. Confess that. It's not my home. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. One author said it this way, uh, a stranger is away from home. A pilgrim is on his way home. I'm a stranger. I'm away from home. This isn't my home. I'm away from home. But I'm also a pilgrim. I'm on the way home. Not only am I a stranger, but I'm a pilgrim. And this is Abraham's confession. This word stranger, by the way, is like this word resident alien. So he did have citizenship. He valued, he, it's not like he just disregarded the world. There's a side of it where Christians, um, it's been said, you, you, sometimes you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think there's partial truth to, truth to that. I think there's a side of it where we can maybe talk about heaven so much, we forget to bring heaven to earth. We're told to bring, to seek first the kingdom of God. We're told to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think sometimes it is possible that we can be like, well, we'll just go to heaven one day. And like, we don't try to make this world like, like God's kingdom, usher in God's kingdom, pray for God's kingdom. And that's, that's shame on us. That's a fault on us. It's not that we disregard this world. We should actually be those who seek justice and bring peace and bring in the kingdom of God. Absolutely. At the same time, this is not my home. At the same time, there's a city whose builder and maker is God that God prepared a homeland for Abraham. Though he promised him land, he's like, there's another true homeland for you. Here's the idea for us. Um, there almost seems to be, you know, the, at, there's odds. People are at odds with the city of God and the city of man. That you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And let me just say, we know that God's kingdom wins. We know that God's kingdom will be established here. And we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part, not that we're like against the world. We want to see the redemption of the world. 
We want people to know Jesus, believe in Jesus, love Jesus. We want people to experience the freedom and identity that they can have in Jesus, that our identity is based on, in Christ and who, who he is and what he's done for us, and find our identity as citizens of heaven. As Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Our true residency is in heaven. And there, it seems to be this, this war happening in a sense, but here we are to bring ushering in peace and love and justice in the name of Jesus, in the name of the kingdom of God, that we're to pray for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what we see from Abraham. He had vision to see that this was not his true home, that there's a city that is coming. Hebrews, by the way, now this is the first time we see this word like city, the city of God. This idea that we're gonna see the city of God being spoken of, meaning we're gonna see it in chapter 11 and 12 more so, that the city of God is, is here, but not yet. That the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet. That we know Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. There's a side of this where we see that God's kingdom is here, it's near, that we as the church should be expressions of like the king, of the kingdom of God, ambassadors for the king. We should see little senses like of holiness and forgiveness and reconciliation, what the world wants, we should see happening in the church first. And then from there, we're gonna see it grow and grow. And we're gonna see the city of God is here, but it's already not yet. That one day Jesus will come. He will rule and reign. That we're told in Revelation that 20 and 21, that he'll set up a new, a new heaven, a newer, that they will truly see the kingdom of God here. And, and here's the thing that we're, we're trying to keep in mind. That as we're living this life of faith, as our circumstances are really trying, that you know what, this world is not forever. That the only foundation that's eternal is this heavenly city. So let's build, let's build God's kingdom. Let's build God's um, the, the kingdom of God wants to usher in. Let's be a part of something bigger. This world will fail us. People will fail us. Um, all these things will eventually leave you hungry for something else, and that is the kingdom of God. You know, I love how one author talked about heaven. He goes, You'll, you were built for a person and a place. Jesus is the person, and heaven is the place. That you and I were built for this. We were built for Jesus, and we we're built for the, the really being with him. Heaven is really just the presence of God. Heaven is just really being with him in his presence. I want to share with you just a closing uh, thought or poem. I'm going to read it to you. It goes like this. The earth, the place we live, has nothing, my friend, to give. But heaven above is the place I love. With Christ we shall reign. My life is not the same. To Jesus I glorify and may my life testify of his glory and grace, of his power that saves. The lost who are found, whose home is heaven bound. That's our home. Our home is heaven bound. That we need to not dismiss the needs of the world. That we need to be seekers of bringing the kingdom of God who meet needs, who love people, who bring justice, who care about that. But who also realize as we're doing that, we're really trying to build something far greater. We're really trying to pray for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to say it this way. If you've not yet really by faith accepted Jesus, by faith believed in Jesus, by faith said, Jesus, my life is yours, you can do that. If God has spoken to you, I would say do that. Respond. Don't put off the voice of God. Don't say one day if he speaks to me again. If you've ever sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I'd say believe that, receive that, enter into that. That God says your true home is in heaven. What are you doing? You're living for something here that will never satisfy. 
And I really believe God is trying to do something new where he says, you are built for a person and a place. Jesus is the person. Heaven is the place. Stop building your life that has no foundations. Stop building your life on something that will never satisfy, never bring true value and meaning. Build what God seeks to build. That is his kingdom here. So listen, I wanted to say, wherever you're at, if you're at home, if a friend has sent this to you, if you're watching, you can just pray a prayer right now and say, Jesus, by faith, I believe that you are the son of God who died on the cross for my sins and you rose again from the grave. Jesus, I believe that the earth is yours that everything in it is yours. Jesus, I believe that you are the one true king, that my life wants to now be in submission to you. I want to follow you. I want to give it all to you because your ways are way better than my ways because your kingdom is way better than my kingdom. You can simply, in your own words, pray a prayer like that. Say, Jesus, I surrender it all to you. Jesus, I believe you are the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus, there is no one like you. You're the only one who can save. You're the only one who can meet man's needs. You're the only one who can provide a, a forgiveness of sins from the cross. And just, you can pray that. And we'd ask that you would just do that. We'd ask that if you're with someone and say, would you like to pray that? Would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Would you like to be a part of the heavenly kingdom? You can do that. You can say, it's as simple as that. God's not trying to trick us. God's not trying to make it difficult. It's whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's not trying to make it difficult for someone to get to heaven. God's saying it's by faith. Abraham believed God and God said, yep, you're righteous. You believe in Jesus. God goes, yep, you have his righteousness, what he did for you. You have his righteousness because of just faith, because of God's grace through faith. Not of works, no one can boast. It's by the finished work of the cross. And you just believe on Jesus and God says, you're righteous. Come on in. Now be a builder of the kingdom. Now be a bringer of the kingdom. Participate in a city that will endure forever. Participate in a kingdom that will never fade away. And that's what we get to be a part of. I'm going to pray. Um, we're going to put up some questions for you guys to discuss now. And again, I've mentioned this. We're finishing out the month of July with groups still. If you've not been a part of one, this is a great week to join and be part of the discussion. But let's just pray it out and then we'll throw up the questions. Father, we thank you. We just want to praise you. That God, um, there is no one like you. <laughs> and God, forgive us for trying to build our own kingdom or do life our own way. Jesus, how we just want to right now even confess what Abraham confessed, that we are pilgrims and strangers, that this is not our home, but we're on our way home. That God, we don't want to um, completely ignore this world's needs, but we want to be bringers of peace and of justice and of your kingdom. And God, I just ask that you would just move, that you would speak, that you bring clarity, that God, when people's faith are tested, like Abraham, like Sarah, that they would realize, that I would realize, we have a God that's bigger than our circumstances. And Lord, I, I truly do ask that you do this for our church, that God, we would really believe you in unique ways, that you'd show up in powerful ways. God, how we long to be back together, how we miss being with each other, how we just pray for healing for the nation right now, how God, we ask that you would even bring a remedy and uh, really a treatment for uh, this virus. God, we ask that there'd be a sense where um, Jesus, we could still be one even if we're not in person, that we'd still be united by you, by your blood, by the church being expressed through it digitally right now or groups. God, we just trust and look to you and say, God, you can still advance your kingdom even if we're not together, but Lord, how we look forward to being together. God, how we cannot wait to worship together, hear many voices singing and praising and calling upon you and worshiping you and, and listening to you and seeking you. And so God, we just look forward to that day. God, we ask that you'd give us wisdom, give our government wisdom and lead us, Jesus, where we can meet together soon. So we thank you, we praise you, we look to you now in your name. Amen.
Um, again, I just want to mention the backpack drive. Please take the next couple of weeks to collect supplies. And then also right now, you're going to see a list of questions. Please take a picture of this. Um, discuss it with someone. Call someone. Whatever you can to be a part of this so we don't just hear this message and immediately forget it. Our desire is now to do it. That's it. We love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you in groups. Bye.